Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. This week on the podcast, I am joined by Give Me Sport Women's Nancy Gillen. How are things, Nancy? Hi. Um, yeah, they're really good. Um, very busy. Uh, we've recently relaunched Give Me Sport Women, um, and I've come in as content coordinator. Nice. So getting my feet under the desk um, but things are up and running now and we're covering a lot of women's football which is great because that's what I love so yeah really exciting times. Lovely living the dream basically I like it very good all good stuff um, and I am joined once again by her football hubs Jay Lewis. Jay how's it going? Yeah I'm okay I'm not too bad. Um, good. Recent news has come out that I'm very happy about so Oh, happy about. Okay. So, obviously, for those who do not know, we have got two Arsenal fans um, on the show today by pure coincidence, <laughs> despite the news that has broke today. Um, and you know what? Let's just get stuck in. We need to talk about it. Um, so, just before we hit record on this podcast, there has been some breaking news that um, Joy, Joy, we'll try again, <laughs> that um, Joe Montemurra is set to depart from Arsenal as head coach at the end of the season, May 31st to be precise. Um, so he's been at the club since November 2017. He's led Arsenal to their first Women's Super League title in seven years in 2019. You know, you guys have reached four cup finals uh, with him at the helm back-to-back Continental League Cup wins, a Champions League quarter-final. And now, you know, your manager, who was a self-proclaimed Arsenal fan, is taking what is being described as a professional break to spend time with his family. Um, I mean, some of the quotes from Joe. um, This has been the hardest professional decision of my life, as I absolutely love this job and this club. The club have supported, the club that I've supported all my life, Um, I'm hugely grateful to the club for their unrelenting support during my time here and in understanding and respecting my decision. And he's added that working at Arsenal was the highlight of my coaching career. Um, So questions for both of you, really. Um, But I'll I'll start um, asking you, Nancy, and then Jay, you can give us your answers as well. Um, Why now is he deciding to take a step back? I mean, I think we can just assume that it is that, that maybe he just needs a bit of a break needs to spend time with his family, etc. But do you also think this is the right decision? Yeah, I think there's a bit of both. So I think because of the pandemic, he hasn't been able to go home to Australia. So I feel like that distance between them has been really kind of um, emphasised this year and he probably just wants to bridge that gap. But then also I I think it does probably work for Arsenal quite a bit as well. Um, I think the team have stagnated this season. You know, it, it hasn't been awful but it hasn't been as good as it could have been. So I think it's a case of it's just it's just good timing for both parties and it's kind of worked out well that he has a reason to leave and, you know, for Arsenal, change might be good next season. Jay, what about you? You feel like this is the right decision? Yeah, I'm very happy with it. I respect Joe. He's doing the smart thing. It's like, it's like he's gone to Vegas and he's bet on something and it's come through and he's just been a smart man and just said, I'm done now. I'm just going to leave with what I have. He's had two massive wins over United and Tottenham. Go out on a high. At least he's announced it now. So it's like, I feel no matter what happens, no matter what results Arsenal get, everyone's just going to be on the goodbye Joe train. 
So the fans are going to be happy. Some are going to be sad, but it's like everyone's going to, it's going to be a good kind of vibe at Arsenal. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's a better vibe than I guess a sacking would bring or something. <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, Jay, on the whole, for, well, for both of you really, but I'll start with you, Jay. On, on the whole, for Arsenal fans, um, are, are you looking back on his time um, and feeling like it's been a successful time? Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say the fact that he won the WSL is really what allows him to leave on a high and just say, you know what, I came to the WSL, I conquered it, I did it, I did something that other managers were struggling to do, and he brought silverware. I think any manager that brings silverware to a club, they can leave with their, held, their head held high. Yeah, what about you, Nancy? Do you feel as an Arsenal fan that it's been successful, maybe things were starting to maybe go off track and now is, now, like you say, is the right time for him to go. But on the whole, thanks, it's been great. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think we'll look back with at his time at the club with um, overall positive memories. I think when he came in, the club was in a bit of a rut. And yeah, like like Jay said, he came in and we won the league and it was, you know, we had some really, really good moments. Um and yeah, potential. I think it is time for change, but def- I'll definitely look back at him. And he's he's a big Arsenal fan himself as well. Yeah. And I think that's why I've quite liked him because he's he's really passionate about the club, and I think he's kind of bought into the whole ethos and he's understood what it means. So I think yeah, he he'll go with good memories. Yeah, and and that that's what you want, I guess. When a when a manager's leaving, you don't really want the you know the the drama and all that stuff that comes with sometimes manager's departure so I guess if it's you know it seems to have been handled in a really nice way um and it's yeah and, and I guess like what Jay said it's it's just good vibes all around really um now look looking at the manager he's a he's a member of the Italian Coaches Association I have read now he is apparently of Italian de- descent and he reportedly does have quite a strong attachment to the country Nancy, do you think we could maybe see him in the Italian league after his break? Because he's not saying that he's done with coaching completely. It sounds like he just wants a little bit of a break. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good shout. Um, I think it would be weird if he came back to the WSL yeah. and took another team, having you know been at Arsenal. Um, and yeah, like I think the Italian league is something that's definitely growing, um, and he could probably, you know, it might be when he is ready to rejoin. It's maybe at the same stage as the WSL was when he joined and he can come and kind of like really help out a team so I think that is probably quite a good shout yeah what what about you Jay do you think we could see him in in Syria yeah I think so I think it might be easier for him because he kind of kind of like how he loves Arsenal he's got that kind of background with Italy so it helps when you are where you feel welcome and stuff like that but Mm. for him I would hope he goes to one of the giants in the Serie A rather than one of the teams that's almost there because I mm. think he's a he's a good manager but he can't handle super teams. That's okay. what he's shown towards his time at Arsenal that he just can't get over those kind of humps of those kind of like the Chelsea's and City so it's like he needs to be at a team that's already there rather than trying to get there. Mm. I'm getting the vibe, Jay, that you're maybe not his biggest fan. Am I on the right <laughs> wavelength here? Or? 
you should have had me. Nah, you know those two games where we lost to Chelsea and City. You should have had me on the pod then. Then I wanted blood. Okay. But time has calmed down, and the thing is, I didn't even mind. Like because we've been winning, I was like, you know what? You can stay till the end of the season. And then now it's come out that he's leaving, so it's like everyone leaves happy because it wasn't working out. At the end of the day, Arsenal have stagnated. Arsenal, you know what we're going to get. We're not going to beat City. We're not going to beat Chelsea unless we're incredibly lucky. And why? Because we just know how Joe is. And Joe leaving, we might get to see a bigger squad. We might get to see a lot more players. And I think it's just a new time. It wasn't working. Joe's going to do his thing. Arsenal's going to do their thing. And everyone wins. Would you say that's fair, Nancy? I think ultimately, yeah, it's fair. I feel like I've got a slightly more positive... Yeah, <laughs> which but, which isn't but, hard, really. <laughs> yeah, but ultimately, I think it is. I think it is. I de- of course it does depend who they get in to replace him. Like they need to. The replacement needs to be good. Um, but I think it will probably be a good move ultimately. Yeah. Um, now, I was reading an article before. Um, you know, we went live, and former England international Sue Smith has said, "I think the next manager that, that comes in." will certainly be looking to take them to the next level. So, number one, who's taken over at Arsenal? And what kind of manager do you want to see at the helm? Jay, Jay, you seemed like you were ready to kick poor Joe out, you know. So, you tell us who you want in the dugout, who's taking over, or if you don't necessarily have a name in mind, what do you want to see? I think you kind of touched on it before anyway, but who who you picking? I think it does sound a bit evil how I was towards Joe, but <laughs> I was just a passionate fan. That's just yeah. Enough. He's we, we've got no hate for Joe. Listen, fans yeah, can get annoyed. Respectfully, yeah, respectfully. it's yeah. Everything's respectfully, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to see Ludlow ball. It'd okay. be fun to see, like Jane Ludlow at Arsenal, just because I feel she'd be so different to Joe. I think that's that's essentially what Arsenal really need a big difference to what Joe was because mm. he's had his time and it's like you don't want a manager just going to come in and just be like Joe 2.0 we yeah. need new ideas and I don't think he should say no to the job I think it's got ties with Arsenal so it's like it's that kind of it's not quite like it would be a hard transition for her I feel mm. yeah what what about you Nancy who would you like to say yeah, I'm, I'm going to go down a similar route and I would actually love to see Laura Harvey come back. Um, firstly, because of that, she's got the links to Arsenal. She's kind of used to the setup, and she was really successful when she was last at the club. Like They won a league with her, an FA Cup. Um, but then also, since then, um, she's been in the US, like really kind of, I think, taking her management skills up to another level and she's been in charge of like big big players at uh, Seattle Reign like Megan Rapinoe and um, you know she's she's she can like deal with a team that is full of talent which I think a lot of people think Joe hasn't necessarily done with that Arsenal team this season Um, I think the only problem is I think she's really settled in the US Um, she's currently working I think as the under 23 coach for uh, the US women's national team so I think she would probably be tempted back to club football but I think I'm not sure if she like moved back to England for a mm. job but that that would be my she would be my choice definitely 
Well, I, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, the news has just broke now about it. Um, I think it will be a while before we hear about who is actually announced as the next manager. Um, but I'm sure we'll we'll all be chatting about it when it is announced. Um, and I mean, speaking of Arsenal, what we were originally going to speak about anyway, um, you know, we'll chat about some of the women's Super League games that happened. Um, and one of them was, of course, the North London derby. Um, it was a massive game for football fans. Um, Arsenal comfortably won this one 3-0, so I'm sure that you were both very, very happy. Um, but Nancy, what did you make of the game and who was your player of the match? Um, yeah, I obviously really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was really great to see the match at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, even though there were no spectators. I just thought it was... It's just nice to see matches played out on those pitches and, yeah. and you know, real quality pitches and big pitches. Um and then, yeah, I think it's really obviously very clear that there's still a massive gulf between Arsenal and Tottenham. Um, they're just still not at the same standard, um, which I think will kind of, maybe that gap will start to close as Tottenham have more investment um, put into them. But yeah, Arsenal were just clearly superior. Um, in terms of player of the match, I think I've got to give a shout, shout out to Vivian Miedema for her goal, which is, if anyone hasn't seen it yet, you've got to watch it because it's yeah. incredible. But um, I think for me, it was Katie McCabe. Um, she got a goal and assist and she was just kind of all over the pitch. Um, and she's definitely been one of our best players this season. And, and that match in particular, she was for me, she was standout. Yeah, definitely. And, and I agree that goal was definitely spectacular. Um Joe, would you say that Arsenal, like you say, you've been celebrating the wins recently, would you say that you guys are kind of back at your best um, after how you guys started the year off? Yeah, 100%. I feel that, I, I don't know what it was, but I think there was a disconnect in the team from like the November to December period. I don't know what it was, but the team didn't look together. Like, we had losses to United and stuff like that. We were getting draws against people like Reading, and it's like the team wasn't together. Mm. But then the start of 2021, we started to get the wins together. It's like the team sat down each other and said, this is what's going wrong. It's like they had an in-house meeting because it's a completely different team now. Mm. It's like sometimes teams will go through that through a season. So I think Arsenal just had that kind of bad moment but then kind of showed how mentally strong they were to come through it yeah definitely um and and congrats to to both of you uh for that win i'm being diplomatic um <laughs> i mean um meanwhile it was it was touch and go for manchester city i'm not gonna lie i mean they waited until the 87th minute for chloe kelly you know praise be to people with the last name kelly because we're great <laughs> Um, you know, she scored the only goal in their game against Reading. Nancy, do you think that that 3-0 loss to Barcelona has shook City up? I'm sure that once people are listening to this, Champions League games will have been played. But at the moment, you know, we're turning a blind eye to that. Um, but we're just focusing on that first leg. Do you think that it did shake them up? Because I think it did. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think um, before that game, obviously Barcelona have this ridiculous record. Um, in the Spanish league, but I think people were um, saying that it's because of, you know, there's a gulf of quality in, in the Spanish league. So I, th I I think potentially Man City might have underestimated them a bit. And there was that video that came out of the players reacting to finding out 
um, how many goals the Barcelona team had scored in like 30 games and they were really shocked and I was quite surprised that they didn't know because I thought if yeah. they're, they're playing someone like you, you do your homework it's word on the on the know. footballing streets though surely yeah so I, I was just really surprised by that and I, I don't know maybe if there was a bit of kind of underestimating going on um, but they were completely outplayed so I think that probably really did shock them um, and then I think the game against Reading, I think there was also an element of just being completely knackered. Like I thought a lot of the players looked really tired. Mm. Um, probably, yeah, morale a little bit low. And it definitely, it seemed to have its toll because, yeah, I think they were really fortunate actually to, to win that game. Yeah, I mean, Nancy, you mentioned Reading there. Um, they've held City to a draw in the past. They've beaten my team twice. Um, they've beaten Brighton. You Be quiet, you, Jay. They've, um, but, you know, they, they've beaten Brighton. They've held Everton to a draw. Jay, do you actually see Reading as a team that does have some potential for the future to be to perhaps be further up the table next season? Because they, they've come close, like with that City game. Yeah, they ended up losing it, but they managed to hold their own to an extent for 87 minutes. Uh, like some of those wins and draws that they've got before. Do you think there's potential there? Yeah, I think Reading is potential FC. I think <laughs> they've got a lot of hopes. And with Reading, it's very like, but they get so many different kind of results, so it's hard to believe in Reading. Yeah. Because like, they'll get a good result, you believe in them, then they'll just lose to Bristol City. I think in order for them to live up to that potential, they just have to start beating the weaker teams consistently. Mm. And just keep on, because the whole point is no one's expecting you to beat Man City. But what we are expecting you to do is at least beat teams like Bristol City, that's the lower league, and just beat like Aston Villa and stuff like that. And I think that's what it is about potential. If you don't kill off teams, if you don't get the results, then it's just going to be potential and it won't materialise. Yeah, very true there. Um well, I guess we'll have to wait and see what Reading do bring to the table uh, next season. Um, I mean, for City's rivals, Chelsea, it was a 2-0 win over Aston Villa. Um, Nancy, were Chelsea lucky that they weren't playing against a better side? Because, in my opinion, they weren't at their best, were they? Yeah, I think, again, same as City. I think there was a bit of a Champions League hangover mm. going on. Um, they did look quite tired. Um, but I also think credit to Aston Villa as well because um, they're in a bit of a reg- reg- uh, relegation battle at the moment. Um, so, you know, they seem really up for it. And I, I did think they stopped Chelsea. That, you know, the reason the scoreline wasn't higher was because Aston Villa looks pretty solid. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think, I think if Chelsea want to win the league, obviously City are just behind them. So I don't think they could perform like that every week. Otherwise, they, you know, there's a chance they might let their league title slip. Mm, definitely. Um, I mean, Jay, we now as as we're talking, we do know the result um, of Chelsea's game. For those that are saying, why aren't you talking about the Champions League? Tune in next week. We're going to really get into the Champions League games, etc. Um, like I say, we do know the result. But Jay, do you think that Emma Hayes had one eye on that Wolfsburg fixture? which is why we saw her rotating things, especially at that hour mark. Yeah, I think she always thought that Wolfsburg is going to be an incredibly tough tie. So yeah. I think she was being a bit, what's the word, a bit confident about, OK, let me just 
switch things over for this Aston Villa game because we have bigger fish to fry, which is fair enough because mm. at the end of the day, they're two different kinds of position, opposition, but it's good when you actually have depth and a team where you can just do that and just get away with a win because like, even if you don't play great, the fact to just... And a clean sheet. Two yeah. goals and a clean sheet. That's a great result, especially when you're rotating a side. So, once again, another Emma Hayes masterclass. Hey, who's going to stop this Chelsea team? I don't know. <laughs> um, and, you know, looking at other games, Everton got a big 5-0 win over Brighton. Bristol managed a 1-1 draw with Birmingham, which kept them out of the relegation spot. Thanks to West Ham, who lost 2-0 to my team, Manchester United. Um the game, of course, made history as it was the first time that the women's team played at Old Trafford. Nancy, you kind of touched on this when we were talking about, you know, the North London derby, but what did you make of the decision for them to have it at Old Trafford? And would you like to see this happening more across the board? Yeah, I think it was obviously a really big shame that fans couldn't go. Um, yeah. And I think if, if they could have gone, I think almost definitely that the attendance record for the WSL would have been broken. Yeah. Because um, Old Trafford's like 80,000, isn't it? It's, a, it's 70, uh, I could, it's about 76, I believe. I've been there about yeah. 5 million times, so why I don't know, but <laughs> it's definitely between 75 and 76. Yeah, so I mean, I think the previous record is something like 30,000, so mm. you know, there would be such, you could build a really good campaign to get, to smash that record. Um, but yeah, even though spectators couldn't go, I still thought it was just important just because it kind of sets a precedent for future games and future seasons. Um, I think it would have been kind of a bit odd if this season, just because spectators couldn't come in, um, they didn't have any games at big stadiums. I think they kind of need to just keep it, a you know, it's a pattern that keeps on going. Um, and then, yeah, future future seasons, we we have this, you know, more games at Old Trafford, more games at the big stadiums. Um, I think at the same time, though, it is nice to keep a fair few amount of games at the um, smaller stadiums because I think, you know, both are, both are good. I think it's one of the best things about women's football that you can go to a stadium and you're right next to the pitch and you've got mm. that really kind of small... It's like a you know very community feel. Like the atmosphere can be really good regardless whether there's two thousand or twenty thousand fans. Um, so I'd, yeah, I'd like to see a, a mix of, of both. But I, I definitely think it was really important that they they still did an old traffic game this season. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I mean, for, for me, thinking about Old Trafford, you know, there's been rugby games going on there. If they can play rugby there, then they can have women's football games there. Do you know what I mean? And I just feel like. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think it should be a healthy mix. You know, for example, if it is international break, why aren't the women given the chance? Or, you know, if it's an away game and say United or Arsenal or Chelsea or whoever are, are playing an important game um, and the stadium's there for the taking, then why not? Um, and I think as well, definitely, I'm sure you guys can relate, you know, supporting a team that is so big, you know, it's not easy to get... a tickets sometimes um you know if you're looking at the men's game for example um it can be quite expensive like I say it's not easy to get to games and I think one of the draws that I have heard people talking about um since Manchester United have had the women's team and they play at Lee Sports Village you know I've been a couple of times um I know people like Nat who we've had on the podcast you know is a regular there week in week out um but it's an opportunity for people to take the children 
to see football, to see female footballers playing and to sit and watch a game of football without breaking the bank. And I think if they could take that to Old Trafford as well, you're going to have even more of a draw because it's going to be people not only wanting those things I've just mentioned, but also the opportunity of being in Old Trafford or being at the Emirates or being at the Etihad, you know, that type of thing. So I think definitely... um, it would be great to see. Um, and just to finish off talking about the Women's Super League, you know, big shout out to, to Lauren James. She became the first woman to score at Old Trafford. Um, she's now scored the first goal for Manchester United women in the Championship, Women's Super League, the FA Cup, now at Old Trafford. Jay, maybe you're the wrong person I'm asking. Maybe we should be asking Angelina this question, but it'd be interesting <laughs> to get your opinion, just as more of a neutral in this sense. But does she have the makings of a United legend? Because at the moment, she's ticking pretty much every box. Yeah, I'd say so massively. I think FIFA's going to make a career mode based around Lauren James. <laughs> I really have so much faith in Lauren James. I think yeah. I think she'll be a United legend if you're able to keep, hold on to her. Mm. If you can keep her, I think she will. She's got so much ability. She's so young. She's so well-respected in the league at such a young age. It makes you like really take notice of her. Like When you hear interviews, people always mention Lauren James. Football's literally in her veins. Her brother plays football as well. Don't know who he plays for, but he plays football. <laughs> so it's like people like that, it's just made for you. And yeah. the thing is, she's only going to get better and better. She's around people like Kristen Press and Tobin Heath. So, yeah, she's definitely going to get legendary status. Yeah. Um. I mean, next we are going to head to Spain. Um. And we have got to take a look at Barcelona. Um, I mean... Over the weekend, they beat Sevilla four goals to nil. Um, the team scored their 100th goal. And I've actually been back and added up all the goals because, just to make sure, because I was a little bit in shock. Um, you know, they scored their 100th goal in 21 games um, in the league. And with the final score, that number then went up to 103. Combined with their equally impressive defensive record of only three goals conceded, Barcelona now have a staggering goal difference of plus 100. Now, to put this into perspective for people, the club with the next highest goal scored is half of that, um, half of Barcelona's tally, and that's Levante with 51. Um, Jay, what do you make of this Barcelona team and what they've achieved? It's frightening, Mm. I think. it's What makes it frightening is... There's always an argument when people can say their league isn't as competitive as the WSL. And then you could say fair enough. But what I think really showed how amazing Barcelona was, was what they did to City in the first leg. Yeah. Because it's, it's, they, we can tell they enjoy their league. They are mm. sweeping the floor in their league. But to do that to an amazing team like City and make it look so easy and show what they've been doing the whole year round, it's just... I think it really shut people up and really it's like they took it personal when people said that the WSL was the best league in the world. They were like, okay, we're going to beat your greats because that's <laughs> what we've been doing the whole year round. Conce- it's, scoring goals is fun, but when you don't like conceding goals, that makes it even better. Mm. It's, it's great to have sometimes you score 60 goals, you concede 40. Three goals, that's scary. They haven't 21 in 21 games of just wins. Yeah, it's, it's been an insane season for them. It really has. Um, I mean, they've not got many matches left this season. Um, 
I think it's about 13. Um, the, the club is on track to end the season with 155 goals if they continue their trend. Um, Nancy, do you think they'll do it? I think I think they will. Um, I think I worked this out. I did the maths on this. But okay. I think it's around, an average of around uh, four goals a match, which seems pretty mad. But then when you actually look at their results... They've been winning 5-0, 6-0. I think they beat a team 9-0. Um, so if they keep that up, then, yeah, that I think I think that is really possible, which is, in, yeah, it's just crazy. It is. Um, I'm, I mean, they came kind of close last season before it was cancelled, obviously, due to the pandemic. Um, but they did have two draws, so not as great. <laughs> Still amazing. Um, <laughs> now... Juventus and Bayern Munich are both having similar undefeated seasons, but no disrespect to either team, but it, it's just not on this level. Um, and I've done a bit of research, and the only team I can see that have managed to achieve more than this Barcelona team is Leon. Back in the 2014-15 season, they had 22 wins, zero draws, zero losses in the league, and a goal difference of plus 141. They also won the Coupe de France. They crashed out of the Champions League in the round of 16, and this is, you know, back when Leon had players like Lotta Schelin, Ada Hegberg, of course, Eugene Le Sommer, Laura Dickman, etc. Um, Jay, does the fact that Leon are really the only team to have achieved more than this, and you could even argue that maybe it's not more because they maybe have played, you know, less games in the league. They crashed out of the Champions League in the round of 16. It could be up for debate, but let's just roll with the idea that, you know, Leon are the only team really to have achieved more than this Barcelona team. Does that speak volumes about just how good this Barca side is, that they're competing with, arguably, you know, in terms of women's football, the, the greatest team in Europe, if not the world, in, in Leon, the greatest club? Yeah, massively, I think. Barcelona are rightly so members of the elite club when it comes to women giants because they prove it. I think, obviously, when you have the numbers in front of you, when you see the team match you play, it's a beautiful thing to see. And I think sometimes you, if you only watch a specific league, you miss out on the greatness mm. that's in other leagues. So I think it's nice in the Champions League that you get to see all of these giants go against each other because then you see who really is up there. And I think that's what Barcelona have shown. I think I still don't think Barcelona's on the level of Lyon right now, but I think what they have achieved is up there and will be remembered forever. Yeah, I agree. Um, and and like we've touched on, the goals are fantastic, but the fact that the team have only conceded three goals is is brilliant as well. Um, surely there should be some recognition here for the defence and also the goalkeeper. Now, in women's football, we know that there is always a lot of criticism from the sceptics about goalkeepers. That's the first thing that people tend to go for um, when they're trying to criticise the sport. Um, Nancy, do you feel like Barcelona's Sandra Panos, along with the other performances of other goalkeepers across Europe, proves that the standard of goalkeeping in the women's game is improving? Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, I think the first time I noticed like an Im a noticeable improvement in goalkeeping was um, at the 2019 World Cup when yeah. you had people like Christiane Enler um, for Chile just pulling off some amazing saves against the US, like the best team in the world. 
Um, and I think obviously that is down to her as a goalkeeper, but it was also attributed to the fact that she was at PSG on a full-time contract and she was having goalkeeper training like week in, week out. Um, and, you know, like specialist goalkeeper training. Um, and yeah, I think, so I think we're seeing as more teams in Europe go full-time and um, their keepers can actually fully focus on, on becoming, you know, the best goalkeeper in the world. That's, I think that is partly why we're seeing the standards of goalkeeping like rocket so much recently. I, I completely agree with that, definitely. Um, I mean, talking about the defence, the goalkeeping, the rest of the team, really, the, the team has got so many talented players in every area of the pitch. Um, I want to ask you both, if you could sign one player from this team for your club, who would it be and why? Nancy, I'll start with you. Um, I would go for Graham Hansen. Uh, the Norwegian midfielder. Mm. Um, just, I think she's just such a class player, and she's only 26 as well. So I feel like you, if you signed her, she's got so many more years um, of kind of high performance playing left. And yeah, she, I think she's my favourite player in that team. How about you, Jay? Mm, I think I'd go with Oshawala. Yeah. Because I think it would be great to see some competition in the striker position. Because nine times out of ten, you know Viv's going to start. And rightly so, because she's incredible. But it would be nice to have someone else there that's letting her know, like, I could outscore you this week. And then we just kill teams, because they just keep trying to outscore <laughs> each other. Like, one minute she's getting a hat-trick, one minute she's getting a hat-trick. It would be beautiful to see. Uh, I love the way that you've gone with that. Just, like, this idea of Arsenal just, like, scoring hat-trick upon hat-trick upon hat-trick. And you know what? With your new manager potentially on the horizon, you could get both of those players. Who knows? Hope the so. sky is the limit for you guys now. <laughs> um, I mean, of course, briefly before we move on, uh, their rivals, Atletico Madrid, got a nil-nil draw with Valencia. They're now in seventh position, a draw and two losses in the last three games. We've spoken about Atletico before, but things seem to have taken even more of a nosedive since we last spoke. Um, Jay, what's going on with them? I think they, because they've got a good team. I think whether it's a winning streak or a losing streak, mentality is really one of the biggest causes. And I think right now they've got a serious voodoo mm. against them. And voodoo, you know. I think so. It's something. Missing two penalties in a game? I think it's serious voodoo. And they need to <laughs> apologise to whoever they offended. But as a team, they need to come together and figure out what's going wrong. Because only they know, because they're on the pitch with each other, they know the results that aren't good enough. So I think they need to really look, kind of like what Arsenal did, they need to come together as a team, figure out what's going wrong, and then that's what's going to help them get better results. It's yeah. a mentality thing for me. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, definitely, it's just, since that Champions League game, it, it just seems to have really gone downhill. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've, I just hope that they can maybe take the summer. I think we spoke about it last time, Jay, on the podcast that maybe, you know, not having Champions League football, there's going to be less pressure for them and yeah. and maybe they can bounce back because, you know, as as a neutral watching the league, you know, you, you want to see the big teams competing, definitely. Um, so, yeah, fingers crossed that they can get back to winning ways um, maybe next season. Um, lastly, we're going to go to Italy. Um, I wish we were actually going to Italy, but we're <laughs> going to Italy virtually. Um it was into Milan against AC Milan. Big, big game. Um, both Milan teams arrived on the scene 
around the same time, um, as in their arrival to um, to the Syria. Um, obviously, AC Milan celebrated a big 4-1 win over Inter Milan. Um, and I guess you could argue that AC Milan, looking at where they've been finishing in the table, the results they've been having, comparing it to Inter Milan, you could probably say that AC Milan have been quite a bit more successful than Inter. Um, Nancy, do you, would you agree with that? Do you think that uh, that AC have been more successful with regards to their position in the table and the wins that they've had? I think that is fair to say, yeah. Um, I think I think when you kind of think of, you know, the two teams in Italian women's football, you think of Juventus and then AC Milan. Um, I don't really think Inter Milan come into the conversation yeah. that often. Um, yeah, and I just think they've made kind of really astute signings um, there's not really that much money going around in uh, women's football in Italy, but they've kind of made the most of what they've got. So I think, for instance, like Natasha Dowie has gone over there um, and had a really, really good season. And it's that kind of thing where you've got a player who has played all around the world. It's like a proven goal scorer, um, but maybe is, you know she's kind of coming towards the end of her career. So she'd be up for a new opportunity or maybe they would be able to get her, you know, tempt her. Uh, to come over to Italy. So I think they've just been a bit more astute with how they've built their team. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, now, for Milan, um, AC Milan, of course, uh, Valentina Giacinto, she was exceptional as always. Um, she's played for a number of teams in Italy. Jay, could you see her playing outside of Italy? And if so, where? And you can't just say Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it'd be nice to see her Arsenal, but no, I could. I think it helps that she's in Europe. So I think the bigger clubs like Bayern, Lyon, Barcelona, I think they're all keeping tabs on her, just in case. But I think if not them, then maybe one of the teams like PSG and Levante that are trying to like really take over. Yeah. I think she could go there as well. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I, I could see a team... Yeah, maybe a, a team like Levante. Um, I will be mindful to ask our um, our Spanish league expert, Alejandro, what he thinks about that one next time I speak to him. Um, now, these two teams are going to meet again in the Coppa Italia semi-final second leg. Inter are leading from the first leg, two goals to one. Nancy, do you think that AC Milan will be able to get the win and head to the finals? I'm feeling pretty confident for them. What about yourself? Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think... Yeah, Inter in they've got you know their previous form is quite rocky and Milano they're going strong um, and it's only kind of one you know a one goal deficit and, and Milan in the derby proves that they can score multiple goals against Inter so I feel like they'd be able to kind of turn that around um, so yeah I, I also am very confident that they can progress. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Maybe Inter will surprise us, but. I just feel like AC Milan, they've had such a good season and they will definitely be wanting to finish the season with um, some silverware. Um, looking at Italy, um, Juventus had a 9-1 victory against Bari. Um, it was top of the league against bottom of the league. It was expected that Juve would get the win, um, but it was still an excellent performance from the side. Um, Jay, did you have a favourite goal out of the nine um, or a player of the match? Uh, I think number five, um, but from Staskova, she did a she, she did a really nice goal. 
it was a really nice cross and then she controlled it, sent one of the defenders to the shops and then just calmly slotted it home. Beautiful goal. Yeah, I, I mean, there was a, it was a lot. There was a lot of goals to go through. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was definitely um, a good one. And of course, Christina Garelli, she scored four goals in 24 minutes, as you do. Um, in some ways, Garelli versus Giacinta, it's almost like harder against Miedema for the Women's Super League. Um, you know, two massive, massive players. Um, Nancy, which player would you prefer to have at Arsenal if you could have one of them, Girelli or Giacinta? I think, personally, Giacinta, um, just as I was talking before about Graham Hansen, I think age is a, quite a big thing. I think they've they're both got such an amazing goal scoring record. Yeah. Again, if I'm just kind of, you know, trying to clutch at straws to decide between <laughs> them, I think Giacinta is about three years younger uh, than Girelli. So again, maybe a bit more, you've got a bit more time uh, with her kind of at her peak. Um, so yeah, that, that is my decision, but I, I think I am slightly clutching at straws there. <laughs> it's hard. It's, it's a hard thing to, to decide on. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean that that's us talking about uh, some of the games that have gone on in Europe. Um, let's switch things up now to our hot topic. Um, I thought it would be good to talk about the latest news, um, which focuses on plans to introduce a second tier European club competition. Which this was amongst the proposals at the European Club Association's first women's football strategy. That was a lot of words. Um, and that was released this week. Um, now, obviously, looking at the men's game, they've got three tiers of European football. They've got the Champions League, the Europa League. From next season, they're going to have the Europa Conference League. Therefore, it definitely makes sense that a second tier of European football for women should be added, you know, with a third tier, potentially for the future, in my opinion. Um, but... Jay, what do you make of the idea um, that they're going to introduce this second tier um, for women's football? And also, what do you make of the fact that there's now, we actually have a strategy for women's football? I think it's a great idea. Um, now United fans won't get upset about finishing fourth anymore because they'll have Whatever. some sort of European competition <laughs> to be in. So that's always great. But I Haters think are going to hate. Whatever. <laughs> But I think it's great to hear that they're working on expanding and actually having a plan for the women's game. Because it's like, how do you expect something to succeed if you don't plan, if you don't make action to try and help it? So I think it's definitely what's needed. I think European competition is going to attract more fans because sometimes you only get to see your teams in a certain league. But if you go against different leagues, like what's going on with like City and Barcelona... It just attracts more people because it's going to be great football that you don't see every day. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree. Um, now, Claire Bloomfield, who is the, um, let me just get this right, the European Club Association's head of women's football. Um, so she has said, we want the clubs to realise these ambitions of growing women's football in Europe. And part of that is tabling very detailed proposals for a possible second tier competition in Europe. Um, Nancy, do you feel like with the popularity of women's football growing, it made sense for this to be happening, right? I definitely think so. I think, um, yeah, the, the standard is improving everywhere. And in turn, I think it makes sense to give increased teams more chances to compete in Europe. 
Um, I think the, the thing for me, I think it definitely has to be matched by investment in the leagues and, you know, kind of across the board. Um, because I think you could get to a stage where you've got teams competing in Europe and it, it's, you know, a bit of a financial struggle for them or they don't have the resources and, then, you know, it makes women's football take a step backwards. Um, so I think as long as the investment's there and, and it, it, there's kind of like a, you know, it's bottom up as well and top down working together at the same time, um, then I think it'd be, yeah, a really good idea. Yeah, definitely. Um I mean, in addition to this, a new Women's Champions League format will be introduced in the 2021-22 season. And this will feature a group stage in the last 16 for the first time. The format change. This means that three English teams will take part rather than two. Um, and this will be the case um, with all the top six countries by ranking. Um, now, Chief Executive Charlie Marshall said um, that the ECA, which represents clubs in decision-making processes at European governing body UEFA, um, was keen to make any further changes to European competition in a sustainable and stabilised way. So he said, we want to achieve in a decade what they have achieved in 50 years in the historic men's game. Marshall said that FIFA plans to introduce a women's club World Cup um, this was also under discussion and in addition in the strategy there were six strategic goals with the ambition to drive full-scale gender equality in football. Jay what do you make of these statements? I mean it, it's been a long time coming right? Yeah it's been a very long time coming but no time like the present and it's important that statements like these get recorded so that action can take place and people can also like hold these people accountable like you said this would happen so see something happen yeah it's great that there's serious plans to accelerate the women's game and fingers crossed that the ambition meets the execution yeah definitely um i mean nancy would you prefer to see a europa league style of competition or the club world cup which one excites you most i think both would be good but in terms of personally i would love to see a club world cup um I think it's in the men's game it's a bit no one cares about it mm. it's you know it's probably one of the least popular competitions ever but I think that's because you've got you know a lot of strong teams in Europe which already play in the Champions League so kind of going out to all the teams in the in the rest of the world isn't as exciting but in women's football there is that massive debate about whether the NWSL is the best league in the world the WSL or one of the other uh, leagues in Europe and I think the Club World Cup would maybe answer that but then also kind of intensify that debate and that and that rivalry as, as well and it would be really intriguing and I, I would just personally love to see an NWSL team play like Arsenal or City or Chelsea and just see how how you know what would happen um I think one of the things that has to work out though is all these American, you know, the way the American team system works, where they're kind of a lot of the players are out on loan and, and stuff. I don't know how that would work if you came up against your parent club, but I'm sure they could iron that kind of thing out. Yeah, they, they'd figure it out, I guess, but I, I definitely agree with you. I think that would be really exciting to see and it would put to bed, I guess, a lot of debates, but also open up a lot of debates, like you say. Um, of course, with more competitions comes more game time, more travel, more money potentially in, but more money out to an extent. Jay, are there any negatives 
or maybe worries about these new changes or do you feel like it's all positives? I think majority of it is positives. I think obviously money out isn't always a good thing, but sometimes you've got to spend money to make money. Um, I more feel bad for the smaller teams that might not get involved because mm. it's, it's, it's all you always feel a bit sorry for the teams that are lower that aren't going to really get to see the European competition but I think as a whole it's a really great idea and it's going to be fun to see it like progress yeah I can't wait to see um to see how this all develops and pans out um I mean some of the other goal focus uh the, the other goals sorry they focus around professionalization research studies um, to facilitate the successful creation of new women's clubs across Europe, etc. Nancy, if we pair all of this with the broadcasting deal for the Women's Super League, would you say that this is arguably the biggest year in women's football yet regarding what has been achieved? Yeah, I, I think you could and it's kind of weird because last year with, with the pandemic... I think everyone was just really worried that women's football would go back and lose a lot of the momentum that we'd gained. Um, but yeah, this this year's been massive. It, it's a lot of kind of landmark announcements that I think everyone's just been waiting for for so long. Um, but I think I think the most exciting thing about it is that because of these deals that are announced this year, I think year on year it's just going to be kind of bigger and bigger for women's football. So the money that is going to come out of the TV deal um, and like flow into women's football, that's kind of going to make, you know, and, and the, the more full-time players, hopefully, um, record crowds and audiences. And um, I think as a result of this year, every year from now on is, is going to be like the biggest year in women's football. So it's a really exciting time to, to be a fan of women's football. It most definitely is. Um, and like you say, let's just hope that this isn't the end of uh, these great years that we've we've got. Hopefully there's going to be more and more better years. Every year is going to be good. Every year is going to get even better. Um, I've definitely got my fingers crossed. Um, and thank you to both of you for being on the podcast this week. I'm sure we'll get you both back on at some point to discuss Arsenal, the highs and lows, um, and also some of these uh, some of these new things that are happening. So that is everything for today's One Football Women's Football podcast. A big, big thanks to Nancy and Jay for joining us from Give Me Sport Women and her football hub. Do not forget, if you guys do want to get in touch, it is podcast at onefootball.com. And if you want to check out all of the other podcasts that we have got here, head over to Apple Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you listen to all of your podcasts really, to hear more from us.